Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's a lot going on in the property world at the moment. Off the back of last year, interest rates have increased. Property still hot. It's cooling down in some parts. We know there's markets within markets and all that stuff. But today on the podcast, I've asked John Pigeon and Emily Wallace from the My Millennial Property Podcast to jump on and talk about how to buy a property in 2023. So how we've set this episode up, I've asked John to cover property from an investment point of view. Emily is a buyer's advocate who just focuses on owner-occupying properties. In fact, she's got a really great online course, uh, How to Buy a First Home. We'll put a link in the show note if you came for that. But anyway, these guys are awesome. They're both going to interview each other about investment properties and buying a home to live in for the first time. Now, some great news before we get started. Today, we are announcing our new show partner for 2023 Global X, formerly ETF Securities. Whether you're new at investing or it's not your first rodeo, Global X have a wide range of thematic ETFs for you to add to your portfolio. You'll hear more about Global X in the coming year. We're really thankful for companies that want to get behind financial literacy and investing education. And I know that Global X will provide a whole heap of value to you, albeit investing content or just the fact that they are supporting the My Millennial Money podcast, which employs five people. So thank you so much to Global X. You can learn more by clicking the link in the show notes or head to globalxetfs.com.au. Awesome. Thanks, Global X. I'm going to throw over to John and Emily. They're the hosts of the awesome podcast, My Millennial Property. You're in great hands and you'll get so much out of this episode. Today, it is a takeover episode from the My Millennial Property team, isn't it, Emily? We're crashing the party. We are. So, John, the investor master I'm going to go with today. Wow. <laughs> well, you're, pre- you're pretty savvy when it comes to investing and helping <laughs> oh, people yes. invest. It's, it is what you do for a living. Try to. So, yep. you know a thing or two. And an exciting time of year, isn't it? You know, when we start the year... We think about our big goals and aspirations and what we want to achieve. And for many people, buying a property, whether it is investment or their own home, is usually on the cards as one of the big ticket items. So hopefully this episode on both sides of the fence unpacks the things to be aware of and probably some crossover in both of what we have to say, I reckon, applies to both situations. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, kicking us off on the investor side of the fence, what would be your first tip for those looking for an investment property this year? Yeah, so... Buying an investment property is one that's definitely a mindset thing. So do I want to be an investor? Mm -hmm. So have I got the mindset to say, yeah, I'm going to buy an investment property. Someone's going to live in it that I probably don't know. I'm going to deal with the property manager. I've got this whole small business on the side going on that is property investor. So I need to understand whether I'm up for that challenge, but also, uh, 
understanding that there's highs and lows in property investing, right? And we'll talk about buying or living in your own home a little bit later, but I think buying an investment property, knowing that things can go wrong, right? Mm. We can have um, tenants defaulting on our payments. We can have uh, damage to the property that's because we're the one that's not living in it and uh, market fluctuations with it, with any property. So the mindset of, yep, I'm up for this challenge. It's going to be a, a nice uh, rocky ride. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll combat the downs and we'll enjoy the ups. Correct. It's a huge piece around the whole thing is question, like first question, do I actually want to be an investor? And I don't yeah. think enough people ask that of themselves actually. No, I don't think so. And it's it's maybe, it's something like, it may be just a done thing. Mm. Okay. Well, my friend's done it, so I want to do it. Or my mum and dad have got an investment property, I should do the same thing. And, and there's still quite a, a small proportion. I think it's about 2 million people in Australia that own an investment property. So that's roughly 10%, uh, a little bit less yep. that, that own investment property. So it's, it's, still pretty small relative. Uh, but so understanding the mindset's a big part of that and and have I got the funds to, to go and buy a property? So the deposit funds, if it's our first property, that's the only way we can get in uh, or can I be strategic and go and get a parental guarantor if my mum or dad are up for that? Um, and how much can I, can I lend? So it's really two pieces, mindset and cash? Have I got the ability to go and buy in 2023? Are you ready really is the question. Am I ready? Yeah. yeah. In in the pocket and also in the mind. 100%. So if we've got a tick box to that question, yes, I'm ready. I've got my investor hat on and I know the way I'm going to get in in terms of available cash or deposit funds. Yep. What next? So what next is my finance structure. Right now, some might say that can come later, but I'm saying that needs to happen pretty early on. So understanding, first of all, having a good mortgage broker in your corner that's that can navigate their way through that, and also maybe educate you a little bit on the way as well. So what can I lend, um, and which lender am I likely to use based on my servicing, my type of employment, uh, what's happening in my life? So my borrowing capacity. But then understanding, well, do I want to pay interest only or principal and interest and, and what's the difference between that from a repayments point of view? Uh, and I'll get to the, the next points about longer term stuff in a moment, but there's a big difference. Like there's probably on, a, on an average mortgage, there might be eight to 10 grand a year by paying principal and interest versus interest only, knowing that the rates are slightly different as well, um, up to half a percent difference between interest only and principal and interest. Um, and then the whole fixed versus variable. Do I want the comfort of locking some some money away? That's the amount each month, or am I happy to to play the game and and interest rates high, uh, go up or interest rates come down? I'm I'm happy to sort of navigate my way through that. So it's then that the whole finance structure is the second part of it. So having that really good mortgage broker in your corner that can elaborate on all that stuff because sometimes when we structure it a certain way, it's very hard to go back. Mm. And if we don't get off to a good start in that space, then it can all unravel pretty quickly. And you've I mentioned there a few times a good mortgage broker. In your mind, what, what equates to a good mortgage broker? Yeah. So we use the word sophisticated a little bit, yep. uh, <laughs> which is probably not me, um, but <laughs> I think it's someone that has experience in that space 
um, not necessarily working with people in your industry, but have on a day-to-day basis looked at getting investment property loans for people, right? Ideally, they've got investment properties themselves. They can, they, they've been in the trenches themselves. They've, they've got some experience on both sides of the fence. Um, and also they can relate to you, right? They can educate. A lot of mortgage brokers and, and hello to everyone out there, don't necessarily educate. Mm-hmm. Okay, what? Uh, how much do you want to spend? Okay, this is how much you can lend. Uh, now I'll get the loan for you. Off you go. Yeah. Versus saying, well, actually, Emily, what's your long-term goal for this? Like how long do you want to hold this property? And and what's your cash flow like each month? And, and do you want to deploy any money towards shares or your future owner-occupier or, or just really strategic questions like that, I think, in a lot of cases goes missing. So if if your mortgage broker is not asking you those real critical questions and almost critiquing you to say, well, are you ready for this? Do you want this? Yeah, it's a good sign if they're – also it means they're not just there to write the loan, but they actually care and understand the process that goes behind long-term strategy. I think that is essential. Yeah, yeah. We don't want a tick and flick. We want to be able to nurture that relationship for years to come because you'll go back to that mortgage broker over and over again. You, you'll probably check in every six to 12 months on valuations and, and loans. And if they're not doing it with you, you should be doing it with them. Yeah, most definitely. So that brings us now to point number three. Point number three is understanding your strategy. And three tips in, and we haven't spoken about jumpingonrealestate.com. Not, right. not a chance. We haven't even gotten to looking yet. <laughs> no. So we don't need to. So I think that's that's a common mistake is we jump on there even before we've thought about are we ready or do we have cash or how much can we lend, those sort of things. So, what are you even looking for? Like what do you, you know, you just log on yeah. mindlessly. What are you even looking at? Yeah, it's just uh, dreamlining, I call that. Yeah. <laughs> so understanding our strategy is the third tip. So knowing, and, and I teach an eight-point strategy for investors. So I'll quickly run through those without elaborating um, if I can remember them off, the, off my head. <laughs> first, first one is what's our overall strategy? Is it capital growth? Is it cash flow? Is it a combination of both? Is some tax benefits in there, et cetera? Second one is class of property. So uh, we talk about A, B and C properties and, and what suits um, our situation at the time. Uh, next one is type of property. So do we want house, unit? apartment, townhouse, and and uh, knowing that all eight of these intertwine with each other, it just doesn't stick out in isolation. Uh, fourth one is loan-to-value ratio. So that's in consultation with your mortgage broker, we 80%, 90%, 95%, parental guarantor, all those sort of things. Uh, fifth one is the location. Um, so shortlisting the locations that we are happy to buy in based on our research and, and we can get that type of property in that particular location. Sixth one is yield. So knowing your cash flow and, and that's very much underrated with a lot of people. They just go and buy in search of capital growth and and it can uh, all, all go a little bit pear-shaped. Um, the, the seventh one is the entity. So whose name we're we putting in it. Now, with an investment property, that can come in all shapes and sizes, but normally personal name is, is definitely the most common. 
because it's easy to get loans, but also you, you might have some tax benefits associated with that. But but just keeping in mind that there are other options, and that's where your your accountant would um, would come into play. Um, and then the eighth one is price. So how much are we spending? So how much will the banks lend us? How much of a deposit do we have? And what's our risk profile around spending a certain amount? in relation to the yield that we're probably going to get or can get in a particular location. So that's quite elaborate when we break them all down, but then also combine them to say, well, this location works, but this we can't buy that type of property in there. So do we change the type or change the location? Mm. Do we do we go in with 10% or 5% or 20%? Um, do we do we look for a 4% yield or a 6% yield? Depends on the running costs of the property, what the interest rates are doing at the time, what we're forecasting in terms of vacancies and increasing in uh, interest rates, et cetera. So, yeah. And you did a solo episode not too long ago, actually. It would be in the 2022 yes. uh, catalogue of episodes um, and we'll put a link in the show notes to it. But John actually went through in depth mm. on the My Millennial Property um, show uh, the eight point strategy, if that's sort of, you know, piqued your interest, you want to know more as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Eight points in detail. So number four is 2023. We need to understand the markets that we are buying in. Mm. Now, when I think of markets, I think, yeah, location has its own market, but types of property, types of property also have their own markets. So the unit market might be different to the housing market in that particular location. So there might actually be three different markets within the one market, which is the one suburb, right? So understanding what type of market we are buying in uh, gives us an understanding of are there discounts out there or do I need to pay what I think it's worth? Mm-hmm. Right, so the heat of the market for that particular asset type and that particular location, and what we've seen probably over the last six to twelve months um, is a real shift in it going from a vendor's market to a buyer's market. So I think in twenty twenty three we'll have this problem of there's plenty of opportunity here. Which one do I take? Mm. And I can actually suffer from almost procrastination. Okay, I've got oh, there's a great deal over here looks like it fits me, but I don't have to rush, so I'm not going to buy it. And then time goes by and I don't actually buy anything. Yeah, there's a lack of sense of urgency, I think, into 2023. It's mm. a bit more of a stable market. In some parts, it's dropping a little bit. It's not the heat that we saw in 2021. No. So you can definitely find that sort of, ah, uh, sort of like a just a casual look and a casual stroll through the property market is not going to result in any activity from your end if you're just sort of cruising through? No, no. And what I've found with clients we're buying for at the moment is they're taking longer to transact because of that, but they're also thinking, well, if I hold out a little bit longer, maybe I'll get more of a discount than what I'm getting now. Yeah. So we've got to put a line in the sand and say, well, maybe not a time frame, but just, a, okay, I need to transact once I'm comfortable that this is the right property for me based on my strategy. I often find the pre-approval length is sometimes a good ballpark for people to use. So pre-approvals, generally speaking, are valid for 90 days in duration. Some are six months, but most banks are 90-day period. And I wouldn't necessarily be pressing go on a pre-approval till you're ready to use it and Mm. maybe use that as your guidance of, you know, not letting it expire and buying in that time frame if the right property is there. Would that be fair to say? That's very fair to say. And, and a part of that is also 
us going through the process of tip two, finance structure and getting that right mm. and all of a sudden, okay, now we're pushing to pre-approval. Well, hang on a minute, I haven't got my strategy in order so I'm actually not ready yet. So I need to sort of pause the pre-approval process until I get that strategy happening so that once that strategy is done and I've done almost what I call a pre-season of, of research in the area, then that's when we we get the pre-approval button. Yeah, that makes sense. Logical. Logic is what we're about. So that brings us to the final point being point number five. Yeah, look, the fifth one is use a buyer's agent. No, no, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's an organic plug thrown in there. Um, look, and, and all honesty, if, you, if you're throwing your hands in the air once you've got your finance structure or don't even – know what you think you need mm. um, and, you, and your strategy piece is all too confusing or daunting, then that's when you do have to outsource it. That's not a yeah. tip. That's what well, is a tip but it's not one of my five. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> but um, It is a good tip. It's a side note tip. It's a side note tip. It's, yeah. it's 5A I suppose. Okay. Yeah. But the, the, the fifth one is know your end game. Yes. So we call it reverse engineer the, your life. So – what I want in 15, 20 years' time. Now, we we look towards the next 12 months and we do our New Year's resolution and all these cool things. We look at the next day and week in our calendar, but we don't look far beyond, well, uh, am I married? Am I going to get married? Am I going to have kids? Do I want my owner-occupier at some stage? When's that likely to be? Now, when you, if you're listening in your 20s, you you don't want to think too hard about that, but know that it's probably something that may come along in your life in the next 10 years, especially from the kid's point of view. You generally can't have kids when you're 50. So as a result of that, we've got to say, well, how much cash do I want to deploy for this property? What sort of yield do I want, which allows me to then keep my servicing up for that next purchase if it's something that might happen in the next 12 months, two years, three years, et cetera. Uh, but also what's my portfolio look like in 10 to 15 years? So mapping out a, a, a bit of a plan that says this is my wealth plan for 20 years and that might be sitting down with a financial advisor across your whole asset, super, shares, et cetera, um, or getting a property plan through a, a, a property coach or mentor as such. Mm. Would you say it's beneficial to engage a financial planner or advisor who works closely with a mortgage broker in that situation? Like, or it doesn't really matter if they're not one of the same or? Yeah, I, absolutely. It, it does help yeah. um, as long as we're asking strategic questions. Yeah. Right? And, and I know through our association, through uh, My Millennial Money, we've got some really good financial planners that do have mortgage broking arms, which is mm -hmm. great. We know that they're above board and genuine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there are other firms out there that are just simply a, a linking arm to sell another product yeah. and not take the care and, and um, I suppose, have the ethics to say, well, yeah, Emily, what do you want in the next 20 years? How's this going to work? Okay, let's tick and flick a loan for you and see you later. Yeah, because mm. ideally if you're, you know, 20s, 30s, whatever age it is that you start this process of investing and, you know, maybe presumably it might be your first one that you're buying, mm. you want that team to see you through as well. Totally. You know, how yeah. – like it's a bit relentless – going to a new person every time to do this exercise and explaining your life goals. Yeah. Like ideally, you want a team, an A-team who are there to see you through. Yes, absolutely. And and 
we could have given 20 tips for, for this um, type of scenario as to what to do in 2023, but a, another p- uh, a short part of that is don't be afraid to uh, change experts in your corner. Mm. So don't be afraid to upgrade your mortgage broker or your accountant or whoever it might be. If you feel that you're asking the questions, you're not getting the answers. Yeah. Mm. They might have served their purpose and yeah. you're on to the next. And, and so many people come and say, oh, my accountant's actually retired. <laughs> It's a very helpful one. I need to find a new one. Um, so, yeah, so understanding your team of people and, and assessing them every every 12 months. Yeah. Exciting time to be an investor in 2023, I reckon, overall. Oh, unbelievable. Like, and driving here today, we were having a chat and and I think we've we've bought five properties in the last two weeks across our, our company mm-hmm. because there's so many good opportunities out there at the moment and, and not a lot of buyers looking because they're sort of still sitting on the fence a bit. Yeah. Um, so there, there are some amazing times to be able to get some good bargains, but sometimes a bargain doesn't necessarily mean a good buy. Mm, you got to be careful, don't you? You do. Yeah, absolutely. But more importantly, over all of that is, is not so much what's out there. It's about knowing your own personal strategy that's going to work for you. Which would be different to everybody else because we're all unique. We are very unique, Emily. <laughs> very true. So there we have it. Um, so just quickly recapping, uh, first one, am I ready? Mindset and finance with our deposits and, and knowing that we can lend money from the bank. Uh, two is our finance structures. So going into detail with a sophisticated mortgage broker on that, principal and interest versus interest only, fixed versus variable, et cetera. Uh, number three is understand your, your eight-point strategy. Number four is understand the market that we're going into. There's plenty of opportunity out there, but which one's going to be right for us and make sure we do transact and not just uh, procrastinate on on all those opportunities. And the fifth one is know your end game. So what does it look like further than next week? We've got to have the end in mind. Mm, Yep. Awesome. It's a pretty good solid five for investors to consider. Fab five. Fab five. Love it. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Okay, Emily, my job's done. It's mm. now comparing time to ask you your five tips, 2023, to buy your owner-occupier home. And, and before I kick that off, you specialise right across the Melbourne region in this exact space. Correct. We buy first and family homes. We love the emotion. Well, we, we love taking the emotion out of it, basically. Yes. We love the occasion of putting up the sold sticker and seeing people move into their homes, but that is what we do. You can be emotional once you've got the sold sticker. Yes. Yeah. That's, the deal's not done till it's done. <laughs> All right. Okay. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's kick us off. What, what is number one? So number one is actually irrespective of 2023. It's although I think it's come to the forefront for me because uh, travel is back and entertaining people is back again. And so the first one is don't accommodate others. And what I mean by that is don't go spend an extra 10% or 15% of your purchase price for an item in the property you only use 5% of the time. Right. What's an example of that maybe? Example, classic example, spare bedroom. Oh, yes. So many people go for the spare bedroom because, you know, mum and dad are going to visit from interstate. Yep. We want to host them. When you look at the cost of what an extra bedroom might cost you, and I'm plucking figures out here, but let's just say the difference between a two-bedroom home and a three-bedroom is 100K. Yep. It's probably are reasonable in uh-huh. most regions. 100K over the lifetime of owning that property versus renting an Airbnb down the road for the five nights a year that they're there. Yes. A couple hundred bucks. Yeah, Okay. The other thing is I've noticed a lot of first-home buyers wanting to have large dining tables. Mm. Bit of a point of contention for some buyers, <laughs> but they want like an eight or ten-seater dining table for all the entertain they're going to do even right. though they currently don't entertain. Okay. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that people get fixated on these items that are actually not for them. Mm. It's actually accommodating others. So why, why do you think they're thinking about that? Is that just nice, generous people? <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. I also think, you know, a lot of the, the first-time buyers we work with are sort of late 20s, early 30s. They're entering the next sort of phase of life potentially. Kids might be on the way. Mm. They're thinking of spending more time at home. And if you're a genuine entertainer, then, of course, that's a must-have for you. Mm. But I do think people have this idea of what their life might look like in their new home. Yeah. But if they were to spend some time talking to people who were in their shoes 12 months ago, they'll realise the things they were worried about are actually not things to be worried not about. Not a worry, yeah. yeah. And would it be fair to say that this owner rock might not be their owner rock in 10 years? Correct. Yeah. Like it could just be a stepping stone. It could be most people that come to us are five to seven years and, and most people buying their first home, it is a five to seven year plan. It's not forever home. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think it's very interesting when people do get hung up on attributes that are things that they use for less than 5% of the time that they're living in the property, Mm. but they put such a value on it Mm. over other things, i.e. location, practicality of floor plan, what upgrade does it need, those sorts of things, money potentially better spent. Which could lead to potentially mortgage stress. Correct. Mm. Yeah, overextending and this whole idea of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses as we Mm. always refer back to. It's okay to have a trestle table stored in your garage and bring that out when you have more people over, you know. It's okay to have the second bedroom set up as work from home with a sofa bed instead of a full spare bedroom, yes. you know, with a proper bed. Like you can accommodate yeah. these things. They'll still love you. Yeah, they'll still love you. Yeah. <laughs> 100% they will. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, just that's a trend I've noticed recently that I haven't seen too much until now. I don't know Don't know what it is, but yeah. I've just noticed it. Maybe yeah. you're getting older. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. All right, cool. Um, Number two. Number two is 
understanding your current servicing uh, and loan repayments, but also considering your future changes. A lot of people buying their first property are at a point in their life where change is coming. It might be it actually might be promotion of job and it might be increased salary. And so you might be able to service better long-term, or it could be that potentially you have someone going on maternity leave and you're losing a portion of income for a period of time. You need to forecast covering the gap of not having hundred percent of both incomes. It's really interesting that people uh, sometimes base their decisions on their immediate matter of fact right now and don't consider possible changes that might happen. Maybe you're actually looking for a career change and you have to take a drop in salary to get to where you want to be. And that might happen six months after you buy the property. Yeah. Okay. So planning out what your life might look like in the next five years and and not be almost hamstrung by this mortgage. Correct. Because it's not uncommon to hear people say, well, I'm staying in this job or this role because the salary is good and, and it covers the mortgage, yes. you know? Yeah. And and you can head across to my millennial career to sort that stuff out in your mm. life with Shell. Um, but yeah, it's a really important one that I, I don't, I mean, I'll put some thought into it, but as a business owner, it's like, well, we're just business owners, not just business owners, but we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that will be the next 10 years as far as we're concerned. So we're not thinking so much about job changes, but there's massive impact in um, what that salary may drop to. And I think of mining clients where they might go from 200K back to uh, a, a normal wage of 70 to 90K yeah. and how much that impacts their mortgage repayments. Yeah, exactly. Financial circumstances can definitely change. So you're not going to be in that same role you're in forever. Yeah. Most of the time. Yes. You know, we're millennials. We like change. We like, yes. to, we like to mix it up a little bit. And act, don't they? Yeah. They act really quickly. So, Correct. Yeah. Good just decision makers. Act in the right order. Yes, indeed. So just something to consider. Cool. All right. Uh, number three. Number three is around who you involve in the process. And when I say process, I mean the actual house hunting process. I think a lot of buyers, particularly, you know, the first home buyer market, they lean on either friends who have just bought or immediate family members who they value their input. And I wouldn't say it's always 100% beneficial. It's interesting going to open homes and just being a little fly on the wall and listening to conversations that unfold. With family members? With family members most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Sometimes you have to take that on board, particularly if potentially there's inheritance involved or there's guarantor loan involved and they have somewhat of a say Mm. in what you're purchasing. But more generally, comments of picking up on things that aren't quite right with a property that could be fixed, not overly helpful. No, it's not. Yeah. So you've got to be careful. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can feel you biting your tongue here a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, They mean well, don't they? They do. 100% they mean well. And... They want to see you do well and they yes. want to make sure, you know, it's a lot of money when you're buying your first property. Yeah, totally. It's a lot of money into one asset. And so I think parents just want the best for you and want it to be as perfect as possible. Yeah. Another thing that pops up a lot with that is also around, and I know I've touched on this before on, on our show, is the size of the properties. A lot of parents who live in a four-bed, two-bath with a double garage and a front and backyard find it very hard to comprehend that their daughter or son could live with their partner or even by themselves in a one- or two-bedroom apartment and share with 40, 50 others in the same block. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and I've um, had some experience where they're – 
the son they won't allow their son or daughter to live in a a location mm. that's inferior. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. why would you live out there, sort of thing, or why would you want to buy out there? It's yeah. like again, well-meaning family members, but can definitely influence the direction that you take. Yeah, houses aren't eighty grand like they used to be back in no. the seventies and eighties anymore. So we yeah. have to adjust. Uh, yeah. But the space, the space one's a common one. It's like, how yeah. could you possibly live in this shoebox? Yeah. Well, maybe we're a minimalist. You yeah. Know? <laughs> mm. So how would you say? combat that because I, I can feel that a lot of people listening to this are just nodding their head saying, yeah, th- this is actually me here. Yeah. Um, I've got a, not controlling, but I've got uh, some dominant people around me that mm. mean well, but how do I sift through that if I don't actually know myself? There's a couple of ways. I think um, number one, I've heard of people just not actually telling family members they're buying. <laughs> like they just go and do it just and like I bought a house yeah. and it is what it is and it's done. You can't yeah. change it. I mean, that's a pretty extreme one. Uh, the other one is just I think even having the conversation of, you know, I appreciate your input mm. but this really is this is my purchase mm. and what matters to me. So, you know, I think if you could just be mindful of that while we're yeah. walking around the properties, <laughs> yeah. you know, just to even voice it can sometimes make a difference. Yes. Um, but I really think the ultimate is just knowing that you trust your decisions mm. and you can hear the opinions but you don't internalise them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you need to come in with the A level of knowledge and uh, I suppose experience. Yeah, and, and lean on experts in the industry if you're unsure about things. I wouldn't be getting, you know, property advice from dad or uncle who's only bought one and it was, you know, 18 years ago. Yes, yeah, yeah and it didn't yeah. work for them sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, number four. Number four is this is one that a lot of people don't quite get uh, and it could be helpful to you if you are looking at a long settlement or you haven't quite got the full deposit just yet and that's understanding when payments are due right. and the ability to negotiate deposits. Generally speaking, obviously there's the deposit for the loan but there is the deposit you actually physically have to put down when you purchase a property and it goes into the real estate agent's trust account. And generally speaking, it's about 10% of the purchase price. Mm-hmm. That's not a hard and fast rule. And a lot of people don't know that. You don't have to have 10% there and then. Yeah. You can have a fixed amount. You might have 50 grand saved and you know that maybe you're coming into some money or maybe you're releasing some from shares, come settlement. You can negotiate that amount to because it just sits in the agent's trust account like yes. it's money out of your pocket yeah and if you've got a three-month settlement well what's it doing for that period of time yeah. so you can negotiate that more generally it doesn't really put you in a worse position unless the vendor needs the money to go and purchase something else mm. it's the only time it would really play into that but more generally just ask the question you yeah. know what's the minimum deposit they would take for this for this property yeah i think that's a good one because uh a lot of people can put their plans on hold so they've got yeah. the, the figure that they need. Yeah, and, and a 2% deposit is is common enough, isn't it? It's yeah. just So the, the tip there is ask the question. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Don't assume. Ask yeah. the question. So normally just on that it would be written in the contract. Mm. When you receive the contract it would say 5% or 10% is due upon unconditional. Correct. So you would just say Look, we, we want to change that to – 5% or 2% or a fixed amount. A fixed amount, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and just as a side note to that point is also uh, understanding that stamp duty is on top of. Mm. A lot of people and 
this comes back to the broker and how they've actually outlined the costs mm-hmm. involved, but the stamp duty is on top of your deposit. If there is any stamp duty payable, yes. it's not factored into. No. Okay. Funds to complete. Yep. All right. That's a very good tip. Now, the final one is specific to 2023 because we are seeing a bit of a different market. We don't have the FOMO anymore. Mm. We don't have the headlines of um, a hot property market and no. everything's on fire. No. It's Quite very the opposite, much, isn't it? yeah, very much a cooler environment. And that tip, and it probably uh, plays into what you've touched on with investors as well. But it's be prepared to buy, but you don't need to jump at the first thing. Yeah. You know, it could be the right thing. It might not. It's a balance of taking your time, but also not rushing and making a, a real mental decision to commit to a purchase. It's mm. a journey. It mm. always is. The way to fast track that uh, can be to do a lot of research online of sold properties and trying to weigh up, you know, what things have sold for with accommodation and location. And there's only so many open homes you can go to. Mm. But I think being uh, committed to purchase in a, in a cooler market can actually be harder for people. When there's FOMO and everyone's putting their hands up, there's more certainty of being in. It's harder when you're not seeing everybody racing at these properties. Yeah, really important one, isn't it? And uh, it's so easy to get – we flippantly said take the emotion out of it, but buying your own home to live in, there needs to be an element of emotion there. So it's so easy to get wrapped up in that. um, Totally. And weird example, but at university we were taught – as a teacher, not to smile before Easter, because that set the <laughs> set the standard to say, "Look, kids, you need to discipline or whatever else." Yeah, right? sort of weird, but um, almost like the same thing at yeah. open homes. So, yeah. okay, don't show your cards. Don't uh, try and buy the first thing you see. Just be steely and and go in and take notes and. Yeah, mm. be an observer, and you know what? As a, I think as a first home buyer, because you're so driven by area most yeah. of the time, you can go and attend opens before you have that pre-approval in hand, because yeah. it is a research piece, and the more you know, the better off you'll be. Whereas I think within investment, you need the strategy and location once you've sort of worked out your finances and we, you know, what you can actually yeah. afford. Pre-approval, you get a ballpark figure, and you've made the lodgement of the documents. You can probably start going to open homes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And um, like I, I think when we, we when we think emotion and, and getting carried away, understanding your own personality, right? Some of us are by the first thing we see. Others are like sit back and, and relax and actually don't take any action. So there's really that balance, isn't there? Yeah, correct. And if you need to be pushed, I think recognise that you do need to be pushed. Yeah. Um, whether that be maybe you're buying in a partnership and your partner's more of a quick decision maker and a good decision maker, you know, maybe it is involving the right family member or maybe it's having an expert in your corner as well to know when a good decision really is a good decision. Yeah, great. Okay, awesome tips. So let's recap on those five in brief. So number one was not to accommodate others in your purchase, i.e. spare bedroom that gets used 5% of the year or large dining table room area. (laughs) Yes. Odd one, but common. Yes. Uh, number two was understanding your servicing in the future and any potential changes to pay, uh, maternity leave or uh, job change or those sorts of things. Yep. Uh, number three was be careful who you involve in the process around family members 
and potential friends. Yep. Four was understand when payments are due and the negotiation of deposits. So a smaller deposit size could get you in sooner. Uh, and number five was um, in 2023, understanding that it's a cooler market mm. and that you can take your time without dawdling to buy the right property. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're bo- definitely both on the same page when it comes to that for 2023. And uh, I think I'm feeling that there's a, a, a a lot of fear out there still for a lot of people um, and vendors maybe sitting on their hands not wanting to to sell but maybe forced to sell. Yes. And purchasers, on the other hand, are, are saying, well, uh, is the market going to tank further? Do I hold out for 12 months? And I, and I think the, the, the best time to buy is when you think you're ready mm, and sure. in 10 years time it'll it'll play itself out won't it and i also think about the concept of buying in a potentially falling market mm. like if you're buying as it's falling and it will eventually go up at least you know that that's going to be the case like you're buying at a certain point in time it goes down but then as always property goes mm. back up whereas when you're trying to buy in an increasing market you can get swept away in like just paying the extra just to get in. Yes. You've got more bargaining power in this type of market. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and generally markets over the over the journey, like good solid markets around the country, you see that 8 to 10% drop off. Yeah. And and it doesn't dip much below that. Mm. So if we in a lot of cases we've already seen that, haven't we? So um, not to say that that guarantees the bottom, but it you're starting to get pretty close. Um, yeah. To think that markets will fall 40% is uh, it just doesn't happen, right? So, And you can only see the bottom in retrospect as well. The data doesn't get released in real time. So no. you really, it's a good four to six weeks mm. after, yes. you know, the swing actually occurs and people go, oh, the bottom's happened. Yeah, that's right. And and, and that's an in- interesting point actually. I don't know if you're seeing it, but RP data, which gives you your, your valuations, mm-hmm. they're definitely six months behind. Oh, yeah, at, at least. Right. When yeah. we're looking at properties that we're potentially purchasing, these valuations look rock solid. Yes. Uh, but understanding that if we paid that, we'd be paying overs. Correct, mm. yeah. Yeah. Research is key. Research is key. So there we go. That is awesome, Emily. Now, if you don't know, we run My Millennial Property. So flick over to My Millennial Property and take a listen for all things property. If you're a first-time investor or first-time owner-occupier, then, um, yeah, take a listen. There's some good stuff in there that uh, we've both had a yarn about. That's a takeover episode for you. It is. Hopefully mm. you've enjoyed our party crash. Yeah. And... Uh, we we'll pop in every now and again. I mean, you're a resident host of My Millennial Money, so it's more me yeah. so ducking like, my head in. If you if you listen to the Tuesday Q&A, you might hear me in there, um, but the, the main show has a, a bit of a guest solo with Glenn, isn't it, normally? Yep. So, yeah, but look, give us your feedback. If you don't want us in here, we won't come back again. Yeah. If you want more <laughs> of us, then you probably won't get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. So uh, in general... How to buy property in 2023, whether investor or owner-occupier, the key is to take action. If you're unsure as to whether it should be investment or owner-occupier, then we just need to to weigh out the pros and cons of of both and and it's not all about the first homeowner concessions, is it? It's just about what's going to be right for your long-term plan. So 
shout out if you need us. Indeed, that could even warrant a clarity call, to be honest. Sometimes people are just so confused mm. as, and they've got a lot of voices and opinions at them as well. Yes. So I'm sure you're familiar, but John does do clarity calls um, and for those exact situations like what should we do or like what if we did this? Mm. Yeah, which is good because you've got both sides of the fence there. Yeah, no emotion, uh, no motherly, fatherly sort of... Uh, <laughs> Watch out for you. Just an advisor. All right. Very good. Um, Great to chat again and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Indeed. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 